It definitely affects people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, this desensitization. And that's what they want. Yeah. This is this is what they've set out to accomplish. And of course, they're desensitizing at younger and younger ages. And Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hey, moms and dads and grandparents. I want to just share something with you really quickly here. I have written a series of books, and so far two of them have been published they are ebooks, and a third one is quickly on the way. And eventually, I will have a website full of resources from people other than me. But for now, I just want to share this with you because look, there's been a war declared on your children, and it shows no signs of letting up because there are lies being taught that directly violate God's created order. And these lies, they're being aimed at children at younger and younger ages, they're being aimed at your children. It happens in the public schools. It happens at friends' houses, via the television, the radio, books, magazines, you name it. They're out there. And because of this, it's imperative that parents begin at a young age to instill a godly perspective about gender and God's design for marriage in their children. Because if you think about it, it's much easier to instill God's truth from the start than to try to undo the lies that they've been told. You need to get to your children first. Get to them first with God's truth about marriage and gender before the world gets to them with the lies. And you can do this by reading these faith-based eBooks from Love and Truth Books. These books are created as a powerful tool in helping you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, to firmly entrench in the hearts of your children and grandchildren God's design for marriage and gender. So if you want to empower your children to be able to identify the lies by screening them through a biblical lens, visit www.loveandtruthbooks.com. That's L-O-V-I-N truthbooks.com for access to free resources for you and your child, because what you teach them today will have a lasting impact tomorrow. Again, I've only got a couple up. There's a third one ready to be published as well. I'm just putting the final touches on it. Please check them out. They are free. We want to get them into as many hands as possible. You can also have access to the website through onelittlecandlepodcast.com as well. But check it out. Please spend time reading these books with your children. Hi, and thanks for joining me today. I hope today finds you doing well. All is well here, so praise God for that. So today's episode is the first of a three-part series on the normalization of sexual immorality. And I have a special guest co-host with me. Her name is Paige Cervantes. In this episode, we're going to touch upon the progression of sexual immorality, kind of up to how we got to where we're at today, and then a glimpse into what the future holds based upon the track that we are currently on. 
it does not look good. Okay. So, and, and when we, the things that we do touch upon as far as how we got here, we're going to touch briefly upon subjects such as a, adultery, fornication, um, things like that. We're going to spend the bulk of our time, I would have to say, on where we're at today uh, because it affects how we're living now and it's going, it's affecting the future. So I think it's a really great episode and I was so happy to have Paige with me. She's just a wonderful lady, has a passion and a love for the Lord and a love for the truth. She and I are very like-minded and um, united in our hearts as sisters in Christ. So I really hope that this encourages you to dig your heels in even more as far as um, standing for sexual purity and against sexual immorality. So here we go with today's episode. Hi, Paige. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to One Little Candle. Thank you so much for agreeing to spend some time with me today. You're welcome. I'm excited about this. Me too. You and I have been talking about this for a while now, and um, it's a big subject <laughs> that we're about to tackle. And as I was saying with you, you know, almost kind of overwhelming a little bit in just trying to to put this together, but we're just going to take it a little at a time. And with the Holy Spirit's guidance, we're going to walk through this. And so this episode is on the normalization of sexual immorality, basically society becoming a slave to its passions. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of subject to cover in here as we, we talk about it. And what Paige and I first want to start out with is uh, a couple definitions. Now, of course, sexual immorality has existed since the fall of Adam and Eve. And we know God's word is full of examples from adultery to polygamy, incest, fornication, homosexuality. The Bible is rife with examples of um, sexual immorality. But I thought we could take some time and define this first word, and that is normalization. And what does it mean to normalize something? So I got this definition from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it says this, normalize is to make something conform to or reduce something to a normal standard, to allow or encourage something considered extreme or taboo to become viewed as normal. I thought that was a great definition. That's very good. And Wikipedia also says here that normalization, as in sociology or social normalization, is the process through which ideas and behaviors that may fall outside of social norms come to be regarded as normal. I don't know about you, Paige, but when you hear social norms, for me, I think of who set the social norms. Right. Because the social norm basically says what's acceptable to a society. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I hope I answer your your question correctly, but I, I always think of like uh, like the songs and uh, all the commercials that we see on TV. Mm -hmm. um, probably just even down to the way we dress. I never thought about that. <laughs> no, yeah. I remember in elementary school wearing uh, a halter top being like, I guess, third grade and the boys chasing us around. And I, I remember the boys would get in trouble if they untie one string. So even, even in third grade, there was 
some taboo about our clothing that there was something wrong with the boys trying to untie something. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, clothing. I never thought about that. Yeah. But I always like to backtrack as to who set the social norms, who decided what's acceptable socially and what's acceptable morally. And if if we go back, it was it was God, right? Right. Um for me as a Christian, a social norm should be anything that God has declared good. That's how we should be doing things. And so obviously we have people trying to buck the social norms that God's instituted. And obviously at that point, it just comes down to rebellion. Anytime you want to buck what the good social norm anyway is for society. But so that was normalization. And then sexual immorality, the definition of that, this is from gotquestions.org. It says sexual immorality is the selling off of sexual purity and involves any type of sexual expression outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. Christianity.com says sexual immorality is neglecting and defying God's law of sexual, I can't talk, sexual relations. But in simple terms, sexual immorality, essentially it's the engagement in sexual acts that are outside of the sanctity of marriage, which as we know is the divine union that God created for creating and fostering life. But you might just Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of put those definitions out there to keep in the back of our minds as we talk about normalization of sexual immorality. And at the end, we will answer, does sexual immorality have an influence on society? Now, probably we won't even have to maybe even answer that because I think as we go through this, I think it's going to be obvious, (laughs) right? And you and I had also talked about the sexual revolution And you made a really good point because in my research, a a lot and not everything, they generally say that it began in the 60s, also known as the sexual liberation. Mm -hmm. And it's been described as the social movement that challenged traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality and interpersonal relationships throughout the U.S. and the developed world from the 1960s to the 1970s. But I read an article from the University of Gainesville, Florida, that said it didn't start in the free-loving 60s, as is commonly thought, but it actually began with what they called the silent generation of the 1940s and 50s, which, as its moniker implies, they didn't talk much about sex. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to you know, have you chime in with what you also told me. But the article went on to say that after 15 years of depression and war, There was also a desire on the part of Americans to live in the moment and enjoy life. And of course, we know that when you live with that mindset, you're accordingly going to make it less likely to defer to traditional restraints on our behavior, especially our sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. But the, the article goes on to say that according to the research, the sexual revolution actually began during World War II, which had a great liberalizing effect on values affecting everything from child rearing to religion. And this part really kind of caught my attention. It said, as a result of scientific breakthroughs during World War II, the atom bomb, the perfection of radar, um, things like the mass production of penicillin. And it said that science emerged with an unprecedented level of prestige that allowed scientists and social scientists to challenge the traditional moral framework with greater effectiveness. And I thought, hmm, so scientific breakthroughs somehow also helped to um, foster this sexual 
liberation or sexual revolution. For me, when I read that, I thought, well, it sounds to me that we started to become proud and arrogant in our accomplishments and taking the credit for accomplishments and not giving God any credence or credit for them. So I thought that was an interesting little thing that they put. But then you said to me something that I hadn't thought of before as far as the sexual revolution, the beginnings of that. And what was it you were telling me? Yeah, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, I must be true to myself. That was the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Oh, that's, that is going way back. But, wow. But also, you know that uh, you've heard about the Kinsey reports, right? Mm-mm. So the Kinsey reports are basically two books written by Alfred Kinsey. The first book he wrote was 1948, and it's uh, called Sexual Behavior in the Human Male. The second book he wrote, which is a part of this Kinsey report, um, is The Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, and that was in 1953. Um, the people that he used for the data that he gathered was kind of questionable because it's speculated that his subjects were child molesters, which is very interesting. But uh, yeah, so, you know, you have Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, who I know uh, Carl Jung had, correct me if I'm wrong on this, the kind of quote where I must be true to myself. So if they started with, I must be true to myself kind of an attitude, then um, I'm kind of free to explore sexually Mm -hmm. what I want to explore, especially if they were starting to kind of kick God out of the picture, out of the equation. Sounds um, to me almost like the beginnings of follow your heart. Yes. And I'm really not familiar with those works, but just that quote yeah. um, to me says a lot. And I think Kinsey, I think I've heard Vody Balcom mention him before, but I never really dug into that either. So, yeah. So I guess going even further back, we see the beginnings of these things, right? Just kind of poking through. Yeah. Um, almost sinister, if you think about it, you know, kind of kind of hidden, but there, um, getting the attention of, of some people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think the more we become um, self-confident, like I said, I'm going back to the scientists, you know, the fact that they accomplish these things, and then all of a sudden we have your social scientists coming in challenging the way people have lived for thousands of years. Right. And, um even now, if you think about it, right, so I feel like the more we accomplish in this world, you know, we're so technologically advanced and we keep advancing. Mm-hmm. But the more that happens, the more stupid and foolish our minds become, the human race becomes, right. because we're we're turning away from God, turning our backs on him. And the more we turn from him, the more foolish we come. I mean, all somebody has to do is look at the beliefs that our society is embracing this day and age. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk progressives, which we think is quite the joke when they say progressive because it's really, it's a regressive thinking, but um, it is getting worse. So yeah, so the normalization <laughs> of sexual immorality has been morphing kind of quietly throughout the years and then i think what the difference with the 60s was all of a sudden everyone was talking about it and they were blatantly living it in the open and celebrating it well if if you if you think about the progressive views about sex um it's really about love of self not love for the other person yes i heard paul washer say something to that extent 
when he was talking about sexual immorality, he said pretty much what you just said. He said, um, true love for God and true love for others will lead to sexual purity. So you're pretty much stating that same thing, you know? Um, So let's start to talk the progression of the sexual immorality. We already talked about kind of where it started, but we'll talk a little more about it and where it's led to. And it's still the scary part is still continuing to progress and lead to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I don't know as though we need to spend a ton of time on some of the things that brought us to where we are now. I mean, we will touch upon them because they're definitely instrumental in having brought us to where we are. Right. Um, but I think a lot of our focus is going to be where we are now and then talk where we're headed, um, where the future lies in terms of, of the progression of sexual immorality. Because again, we're not done (laughs) in progressing in our sexually immoral lifestyle. So let's start with the big scarlet letter, right? The big A, (laughs) adultery. Okay. We'll, we'll start on that one. First letter of the alphabet. adultery right um we all know what adultery is it's it's being unfaithful to our our spouse i mean but you know you can also cheat on someone that you're committed to before you're married whether you're engaged or Mm -hmm. you're um in a committed relationship um you're unfaithful but cheating on someone being unfaithful to someone in marriage is is considered adultery and they say there's there's um sexual adultery there's emotional adultery um some people have you heard this page where they say well it's not really technically adultery because we didn't go all the way (laughs) (laughs) have you heard that before i have not heard that one (laughs) Uh uh (laughs) uh-huh because they didn't actually do the deed so, you know, we just kissed. It meant nothing <laughs> like that. Like that helps. Right. <laughs> That's right exactly. If you think about it, you know, if, if you play with it in your in your uh, your head, then, you know, Jesus said that even if you think about lust, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Mm, there you go. So there that just that just added a huge number of guilty people. <laughs> right? Most in, of us. Yes, in, into the law, because you're right, Jesus raised the bar here. Right. So as far as the normalization goes, one thing that came to my mind, and I will never forget the shock when I heard this commercial, and it was an Ashley Madison commercial, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to play a quick clip from it. Did you ever see it on TV? I have not seen it on TV. It was a few years back because if you remember Ashley Madison, there was, I think there was a, somebody hacked the website because it was a cheating app and exposed a lot of people, some well-known people. Mm -hmm. But what it is, it starts out with a picture of this guy. Okay. And you can look it up on YouTube if you want. And there's this picture of this guy standing in front of a keyboard or his computer or whatever and he starts singing about the fact that he's looking for someone other than his wife sorry i didn't want it to start just yet and so then all of a sudden you see you see all these pictures of all these other men and they're joining in singing the song as he's doing this he's scrolling through pictures of all these other women that he can hook up with through this app but here it is Mm-hmm. 
Nice, huh? Wow. <laughs> I will never forget seeing that on my television. I was floored. Oh, that. And wow. I was like, dear God, what have we come to? I mean, it was it was really disturbing. I actually I remember videotaping it. You know, we had the DVR rewinding it and taping it for my husband. And he was just like, You've you've got to be kidding me. Right. <laughs> so yeah, things like that. There's cheating apps out there. There's there's quite a few apps. There's one app, I don't remember the name of it, but it it looks like you're checking into stocks <laughs> and you're really not. Um, yeah, so it, it's crazy. But then we also have music and television and movies like you and I were talking about some songs out there. Right. Um, one of them was, I think Barbara Mandrell sang it, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. And what right. was the, some of the ones you had named too? The uh, um, Love the One You're With. Yes, that's a good one. Yep. What was the other one that we were talking about? Um, I'm drawing a blank right now as to which one it was. Um, I can't think of it either. You're not. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's not that that big of a deal. But but you know, all these messages we see situation comedies and TV shows and movies, and it's really kind of taken lightly, or um, just written off as oh a midlife crisis or things like that. So. Mm -hmm. It becomes less taboo, less shameful yes. Yeah. if you've cheated. And these things should be shameful. I mean, I guess a little comment on shame is that people don't want to feel shame. And you know what? We should feel shame right. when we have offended God, when we've sinned against God, when we've sinned against another person. We should right. feel shame. Shame is a good thing. Shame should bring you to repentance. Now, once you've repented, that's a different story. Satan wants us to stay in shame. But if we've repented of a sin and doing our best with the help of God to not do these things anymore and to live a life of righteousness, to live for him, he takes that shame from us. But um, we, we should be ashamed when we do things that that are wrong. Right. <laughs> we, just, exactly. we just should. But well, um, go ahead. I was trying to find my notes about um, it basically shows that clothing is um, the reminder that we sin. And if you take that back all the way to uh, the Garden of Eden, um, they were naked. And when when they sinned, they immediately felt ashamed. Right. Mm -hmm. So God, God clothed them with, you know, obviously he had to, he had to kill the first innocent animal. He had to shed blood for their sin. And so he clothed them. So think about um, nowadays. In fact, I was going to a, a, where, where I work at, and he is a Christian scientist. And so I, we were discussing some stuff, and, and I said, well, think about clothing. I mean, why do we wear clothes? And he, he said, well, I guess I just don't want to be ashamed. I said, well, it's just a reminder that we sin. And he kind of was taken back a little bit, but uh, he changed the subject after that. So, but uh, I mean, I mean, think about that. Why do we wear clothes since we were talking about uh, shame? You know, to me, that, that makes kind of sense that we wear clothes because we don't want to be ashamed of, uh, of our bodies or I guess something along that line. Maybe you could that, that that's, that's, that is an excellent point. Excellent point, you know, or, or of other people, looking at people without clothing, <laughs> you know, right. what, what sexual desires it would put forth in them. Um, right. 
but like you just you said it in a nutshell because we sin right um yeah that is a really that's an excellent point something that didn't even come to my mind thank you for that thank yeah. you so i don't you have any other comments on uh, adultery the normalization of of adultery well you know for, for me i think uh you know when i look at uh tv and just the progression of my life um at watching tv it's almost like it sneaks in very subtly and it kind of stays around uh when i when i say it i'm talking about um things that are called soft porn mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um i know we're not on porn but we're on adultery but when it's introduced into society if whoever it is is trying to change society if they throw things in subtly and softly or like in the background and a person starts to be exposed to it and they see it and they it, they, they kind of get used to seeing it like we've talked about the exposure to it becomes more obvious until we, we get desensitized yeah i remember thinking about i love lucy tv show and the rules back then the fcc rules were if if they were going to be in bed together it either had to be twin beds separated yeah. or they had to have one foot uh, either out of the cover or on the floor mm-hmm. and of course now you know that's <laughs> totally different. yeah that's an excellent point too um yeah and that's that's how honestly it, maybe it still should be yeah. But you hit on a word, desensitized, and we are all, I don't care where we stand, whether we, we stand on the side of, of sexual purity, we have been desensitized to an extent. I have seen it in myself. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw a commercial showing same-sex couples in a same-sex kiss, and I cried. I was so upset. Yeah. Um, and disturbed by, and I knew, I said, here we go, God. Oh no, here right. we go. We're going to see this all the time now, but it, it just makes you sick to your stomach. Um, you're, you're sad. You're a little angry that this is happening. Right. And so then a few months and you're down the road and you see some of these commercials again. And then the response is like, Ugh. you just roll your eyes or you shake your head and you look the other way for a minute. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I said, yeah, okay. We saw, we threw up our arms like, oh, look the other way. And, right. But the reaction even then was a lot less yes. than it was the first time. And I think I was telling you at one point that imagine going back to the 1950s, mm-hmm. you know, when TV was, it was, was it completely clean? No, but it was a lot cleaner than it is now. Like yes. you said, <laughs> the Lucy show, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show, separate yes. beds. Yeah. And um, that's why I love still watching those shows. And yeah. if that came across someone's TV screen, then they probably would have been traumatized. Oh, seriously yeah. traumatized. And they probably would have turned off that television so fast. And they probably would have been marching down to the television stations demanding to know what's going on or telling them what perversion just came across their screen. And, and of course, wanting to protect their children from ever having to see that. Yeah. And now it's snuck in. And even if you watch a, a clean show with your children on television, there's those stupid commercials you have to be worried about. Right. Or parenting magazine for crying out loud. Right. I, mean, I used to subscribe to parents magazine when my kids were little. And now my daughter who has young children does. And thumbing through that, I see a Ritz commercial 
with two gay men redefining families. So it's everywhere, unfortunately. Right. But the desensitization has definitely affected all of us. I mean, pray, pray to God that it never desensitizes you to the extent that you are accepting of it. Because I, I see that happen with people too. Right. Um, I have a, um, some family members. I have a family member, not in my immediate family, but extended, who is, well, she just, the state says it's marriage, but we know better. Um, mm -hmm. But same-sex wedding back over the summer with her, her girlfriend. But I have a child who loves her relative and has always been close with her. But unfortunately... In hanging out with her and her um, significant other, mm -hmm. she's been unfortunately really desensitized to it. I'll share a little bit of that later. But yeah, it definitely affects people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, this desensitization. And that's what they want. Yeah. This, is, this is what they've set out to accomplish. And of course, they're desensitizing at younger and younger ages. And we will work our way to that as well so yeah that was that was a good thing for you to bring up was the, the desensitization because that's huge that's huge yes because it's it's not okay we never yeah. want to embrace it and say it's okay it's not okay it doesn't matter how familiar it seems to us how often we see it how many people are practicing it or or celebrating it or saying it's okay it's not okay yeah it's yeah. it's just not so so, yeah, we, we have adultery. We have the desensitization. What's going on? Um, why don't we move on to fornication, sex outside of the marriage bed? What are your thoughts on that? That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just watching some YouTube videos, a gentleman that I really enjoy watching who is uh, really good at evangelizing. And so when he um, talks to people, he'll uh, take them through the law and, you know, he'll just ask, uh, he'll, he'll actually take him through the Ten Commandments and just kind of ask questions. Uh, have you ever, ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? And then he'll say, have you ever looked with lust with someone and they have a hard time understanding what he says or what that is means? This, is this Ray Comfort you're referring yes, to? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, love that. Um, and then, then he'll ask, well, are you, are you sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? <laughs> and majority of them say yes. You know, so it's, that's also totally accepted nowadays. It's almost like the idea of buying a car. You need to test drive it first to see if that's what you want. I was told that when I was engaged to my husband, well, you know, it's good to sleep together before you get married because you want to make sure that you're going to be sexually compatible and see if it, if it works. I was told that while I was dating. This is well <laughs> before I met my husband. Yeah. Yeah, yes. that's that's very common. And it's interesting because I just saw recently a Billy Graham clip. I don't know the date of the video. It was black and white. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at the way the people are dressed. And I'd have to say that I'm going to say the 1950s. And it was even back then. Wow. Yeah. Before, before you and I were born. It's the elders. The older generation that prints and sells the pornographic literature that's on the newsstands of the nation. It's the older generation that is setting a poor example in morality. A growing number of college students do not consider that premarital relations are immoral. On the contrary, 
They view it not only as a natural expression of affection, but as a valuable experience in personal growth. And today's campus codes may be tomorrow's national morality. In the 20s, a mother would wonder, what should I tell my daughter about sex? Today, the problem has changed to, is there anything left to tell her? Her father took his son aside and said, son, don't you think it's time we talked about the facts of life? The son said, I sure do, Dad. What do you want to know? One junior is quoted as saying, if a girl reaches 20 and she's still a virgin, she begins to wonder whether there's something wrong with her as a woman. Now, sex is a gift from God. And it's normal to have sex hunger. And God said, sex within the bonds of matrimony is pure and holy and wonderful. And the greatest act between two individuals. What is God's attitude toward this sin? Even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. You hid in that parked automobile. When you bought that magazine that you knew was wrong. God saw it. Everything is open to him. You haven't hidden one single thing. Not even your thoughts are hidden from God. There is no sin that destroys the youthful glow in a man or a woman's face like this sin. There is no sin that is more destructive to the total personality and all of life's social relationships like this sin. You know, you get the gist. Um, God bless Billy Graham. <laughs> I'll tell you. But you won't hear too much preaching like that nowadays, will you? <laughs> Not at all. But so even back then, like I said, this looked to me to be about the 1950s. The, the issue was really taking place. It, it was on the rise. Right. Um, cohabitation. Um, you know, of course, we can't call it fornication. Fornication seems like such an odd word now because they don't they don't use that word because, of course, it sounds like it should. Right. Right. It sounds nasty, I guess you could say. <laughs> but yeah, we see this all the time. And you were talking television and fast forward from Lucy to I Love Lucy to Frasier. I always loved watching the show Frasier. But finally, it hit me one day. Duh. <laughs> it's like, you know, for crying out loud, he just hops from one woman to another. He has a date and the woman spends the night in his bed and she's, you know, breakfast the next morning. Wow, looks like you had a great night last night. You know, his father says to him, well, you know what I mean? Yes. And it's just like normal, <laughs> but it's, but it's not. Right. It's not supposed to be normal. And sometimes we we're just so caught up in the entertainment part of it because there's a lot of funny stuff that happens right. on the show. But meanwhile, you're also taking all this in or if your kids are watching it with you, guess what? Right. They're taking that in. Right. Exactly. Um, I was just thinking about Seinfeld. When Seinfeld came out, the original program came out. Um, Jerry would sleep around with a lot of girls. You know, I never really thought anything more about it until probably later on. Um, I would say maybe about five or six years ago when I realized, you know, that my sin, my sin is, is very personal to God and it, it's a strike against him. And so I happened to watch an old Seinfeld rerun. And I thought, oh my, how did I not recognize that what he was doing with him sleeping around with different girls? Uh, how did I not become offended by that where like I am now? I mean, 
I see that I was back then I was just desensitized to that. Yes, I was just going to say the D word. <laughs> absolutely. Word. And I think if we were all to, to really back up, you know, step back yeah. from everything and maybe even ask God as we watch these things to make us aware of mm -hmm. what we're, we're taking in and what we're watching uh, because we forget. We we forget these things in the midst of our everyday lives and looking to just be entertained and have a few good laughs, but at what expense? But yeah, it, it probably shocked you. This, like you said, why didn't I see this before? Like the same thing with the Frasers. Like, hello. Yeah. Um. Yes, it, it's it's everywhere. You know, marriage has really been been under attack. Sexual activity being reserved for the marriage bed and the marriage bed only, and and faithfulness or unfaithfulness, it's being normalized for yeah. sure. Um, any other thoughts on that subject? Well, the only thing I could think of was just going back to how God's view, um, his design for sex, you know, it's for performance, which is so Genesis 5-2 talks about, it's just two complementary genders to help each other. And they're better as one uh, than two people. And like there's, you know, procreate, procreation is one of them as the other reason. Uh, pleasure is one of that. I mean, that sex is a gift from God, as you said, in the um, boundary of marriage. And then uh, uh, lastly, is it's a picture of uh, a theological picture of the two genders enjoying each other intimately, um, just like a greater reality with God. The intimacy that we share with our, our spouse uh, one day will be the intimacy we share with God face to face. Even though it's not going to be a sexual relationship with God, it, we're going to have that intimacy with him and him alone. Mm, so I, I like just, the way you said that. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just think about that. So, Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Because we, we so often forget, right, that it's it's an earthly symbol of Christ and his bride, the church, it's, it's holy. Marriage is supposed to be held in such high esteem and it's not, marriage is hard. Um, Christianity is hard, <laughs> yes, it is. you know, um, trying to not uh, be swayed by the world and, and live for God. It's not easy in these mortal sinful bodies that we are still in, but um, okay. So let's talk pornography. All right. Of course, pornography is everywhere. Yes. Okay. It's in books, movies, magazines, even clothing ads, perfume ads, whether on a commercial or in the shopping mall or on a billboard, you have your soft porn, um, TikTok. Oh my gosh, TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I pulled up a video of something and a TikTok ad came up and it was filthy. The screenshots of some of the people to follow, nasty. Mm. I won't even describe it. This is what came up on my phone. So imagine children with cell phones and these TikTok ads come up. Not good. It's, it's right. just not good. Ray Comfort made a video one time and he was asking a, a person, um, if you were in your house and you were in your bedroom and you were maybe taking off your clothes and you realized somebody was outside your window looking at you, you, would you call the police? And they were like, of course. And then he would say, well, that's kind of like how a person is when they're viewing pornography. The peeping Tom analogy, you know, um, you're the one peeping in on somebody undressing or 
having uh, having sex with another person. Yeah, never really thought of it like that. Yeah, you're the peeping tom. Wow, that that's quite the thought. So with pornography, as I said, it's everywhere. We have Playboy magazines and whatever the other kind of magazines are. You know, Hugh Hefner sure helped promote that. Yes, he did. <laughs> that whole thing. And there was a lot of people that wanted to be Hugh Hefner and live like him, right. you know? And I remember when he died, I remember all the wonderful eulogies and articles that people had written about Hugh Hefner. And I was like, really, really? Because um, I'm pretty sure unless there was some sort of repentance and a changing of his heart and surrendering his life to Christ before he died. That man is um, going to spend an eternity in hell Yeah, for leading a lot of people astray and um, all the sexual immorality that he engaged in personally helped right. other people to engage in and promoted. The world had such wonderful things. They were just gushing about all he accomplished and what a great guy he was. Wow. And uh, I thought that was honestly very, very sad. So I wanted to just mention this marriage counselors. I've, I've heard of people who go to marriage counseling. Okay. Their marriage is in trouble. They want to save their marriage. That's a, that's a good thing. Right. Right. And sometimes they, they have trouble in the marriage bed. Usually trouble in the marriage bed is because of trouble outside of the marriage bed. Not always, mm -hmm. but I'd say a good 90% of the time, probably. Um, but there have been counselors over the years that have suggested that couples view a porn movie together before um, having sex, um, fantasizing about someone else while they're engaging in sexual relations with their spouse. You know, it's okay to have sexual fantasies. It can actually help your sex life. And I was like, wow, like talk about steering people wrong. Yes. And of course, we have, you know, access, unfortunately, now with home computers and cell phones, smartphones, it's everywhere. The access, it comes to you. You don't have to look for it. You used to have to look for pornography and view it in a dark alley somewhere. Right. And, and secret. And now it comes to you. And it comes to our children, unfortunately. So some statistics on pornography. Guardchild.com states that 70% of children aged 7 to 18 years have accidentally encountered online pornography, often through a web search while doing homework. Wow. While doing homework. Wow. Uh -huh. 70%. Scary. Isn't that something? Yeah. Wow. Well, so, go ahead. You, you made a good point. Um, how pornography, what, 50 years ago or so was like, it was, it was secret. It was supposed to be kept, you know, under the bed you know, the magazine under the bed where nobody would see it. Well, why? If, if pornography is good, which I know it's not, but if it was good, it would be viewed in the open. Um, this is just one way that we know that uh, we should not be doing this because we're keeping it in secret. We would not want our parents to find material. Um, so it's just, it's just a way of showing that we know it's wrong. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And keep in mind, it's not really referred to as pornography anymore. It's been given a new term called adult entertainment because that makes it sound less perverted and evil. Wow. But it still is what it is. 
here's the thing. No one should be entertained by it, adults or children. Right. It doesn't make it acceptable or somehow any better or less perverse or immoral or harmful because an adult is viewing it or participating in it. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just it, it doesn't. Um, and so there's an article from ncfamily.org and it states that pornography exposure at these young ages often results in anxiety for the children with children reporting feelings of disgust, shock, embarrassment anger, fear, and sadness after viewing pornography. Yeah. The statement highlights the following detrimental effects of viewing porn, including that it distorts young people's views of sexuality. And of course, it causes them to see women mainly as sex objects and even girls exposed to it to see themselves as sexual objects. And so they in turn accept abusive behaviors, including rape as normal. It says it leads kids to earlier sexual activity and more lifetime sexual partners. And of course, we know this increases at that point, the risk of teen pregnancy, abortion, STDs. Uh, and of course, it, it destroys relationships. Right. And then finally, people are more likely to have extramarital affairs or be divorced and it increases the risk of porn addiction. So wow. there's not just men who are addicted to porn. It's, it's a problem with women too yeah. because it puts such a skewed look on as you said god's gift of sex and there's this d word again desensitization right um it hardens it hardens yeah. people sexually it it desensitizes them so yes not a good thing at, at all mm -hmm. um my husband and i had some good friends um, actually, I'm still mm -hmm. very good friends with the woman, but um, we, we had some Christian friends, at least we thought he was. Um, he had a porn addiction. And actually, as close as we were to them, my husband and I didn't know about it for the longest time. Yeah. Finally, my friend spilled the beans to me one night and she, she said they were thinking about getting a divorce. And I was like, wait, wait, what? You know, Um yeah. And it's funny because I had seen changes in him, but I didn't really say anything. But I mean, what first attracted my husband to this man, so to speak, you know, he, he met him at work was the fact that he was a Christian. Mm. And so Bob and I got together with him and his wife and we, we just had this, this common friendship, but, um, I didn't know that he had a porn addiction even before they were married. And, um, he kind of was on and off with it. She thought that once he became Christian, that, well, he was made new, you mm -hmm. know, the former self had passed away and, and he had conquered this pornography addiction. And I think he did for a season seemingly or whatever. And then, and then she became his accountability partner, which, which wasn't good, but, but right. he went from being someone who loved to talk about God was very zealous about God. Didn't even have a television in his house which I can, can be a good thing. Um, <laughs> prayers at dinner time and when we ate together, just all these things that, that Christians do and talk about and the way they live. But I noticed that it got to be so that she would say the prayer when we would get together for dinner. Mm. And he just, something seemed off. I noticed over time and he didn't really have conversations about God anymore. Actually, most of his his conversations were kind of almost rebellious in nature, right, wow. um, complaining about the law and the government. I mean, he had some good points, but there was other things too, was he just seemed really, I don't know, caught up on a lot of things. But anyway, 
Yeah, long story short, he he fell back into it. and He spent days locked in a spare room in the house. She was not allowed to go in that room. Mm. And he would be in there. He would just be doing weird things like wanting the house to be dark all the time. And said he didn't believe in God anymore. And he just became not a nice person at all. And yeah, they ended up getting divorced. And he just turned his back on God and wanted the pornography instead. And, and actually, you know, the final lid on the coffin was he called his wife some pretty vulgar sexual names that, um, wow. yeah, that, that, that someone that engages or watches that kind of stuff would, would think of, to call someone yeah. really. But we just watched a man go from saying he loved God and mm-hmm. completely rejects God like that. But, uh, just so sad and heartbreaking to see sure you know she she's doing well she still loves the lord she's still grounded and um honestly she's better off i was upset when they first got divorced i really was at the whole about the whole thing but she's better off yeah you know um she tried she tried to love him and, and to do the right thing and anyway that just goes to show that uh sexual sin is just very enslaving you know mm. It, 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 uh, it ends up like dominating um, area of a person's life, you know? You're right. And it did. It, mm-hmm. it really, really did. So, so very sad, you know? Do you have any thoughts or comments on pornography? Well, just um, there's, a, there's a show called um, Road Trip to Truth. And in their second season under episode 10, it's about porn. And I, I viewed it a couple weeks ago and printed out some information on it. And um, if it's okay if I share some stuff from yeah. that. Yeah. They have a, a process or they, they um, explain the process. Um, it says the enslavement of sin begins when lust is conceived in your heart and then you give it room to grow. Eventually, the internal lust is given an external manifestation and eventually results in death. So um, they go on to say that pornography and sexual sin leads to the death of relationships, hopelessness, wasted time, and potential shame, and eventually suicide, and obviously diseases as well. So it's just uh, not a good thing to get involved with. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And my heart goes out to people that that are entrenched in it. You know, um, again, referring to Paul Washer, he was talking about and he said, you know, you hear the people say, oh, so many people have fallen because of sexual immorality. He goes, I've never seen anyone fall, but I have seen them slide. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And good point. Mm -hmm. It's it's a slide. Mm -hmm. Just progressively gets worse. I like what you said, enslaving very, very enslaving. And so we also have um, strip clubs, juice bars, as they call them, you know, gentlemen's, <laughs> gentlemen's club. I get, I get such a kick out of that. It's like, there ain't no gentleman in there. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? Gentleman's club? I don't know. Like, like jumbo shrimp. I, I don't know. But, but I'm like, gentleman's club, please. Yeah, no, no. But um, yeah, but so again, you know, we're we're calling things by a different name. And then we have adult entertainment stores. Um, so it's rampant 
it's everywhere. Yeah. Pornography, young and old are exposed to it. And that's something that we need to just flee from because it is such a destroyer of, right. of lives and marriages and souls. Okay, that is it for part one of the normalization of sexual immorality. Please be sure to come back next week and join us for part two, where we will continue our talk on the progression and the desensitization, as you um, know, that goes along with this. Um, come back and join us for that next week. Thank you so much for to Paige again for joining me as a guest co-host. You can contact Paige on Twitter at ttrainer0413. That is her Twitter handle, ttrainer, T-T-R-A-I-N-E-R, 0413 at Twitter. So if you'd like to reach out to Paige, you can contact her there. And you can follow One Little Candle, of course, on Instagram or Facebook at One Little Candle Podcast, or check out my website, onelittlecandlepodcast.com. There's an embeddable player there. There's other resources. There's links and um, bios on all the um, past guests that I've had and where you can reach them. And there's also access to Love and Truth books as well, if you'd like to check that out or subscribe so that you can receive the occasional uh, update or goodies that I may send your way. So song for the day is by Michael W. Smith. It's called Here I Am to Worship, and it's on YouTube, and I will provide the link in the podcast description. So check that out. And being that one little candle, how to be that light in the darkness in your own little corner of the world, given what you've heard today, be, be that light in the darkness by not compromising when it comes to sexual purity, okay? As God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The Bible specifically says to flee this sin, the sin of sexual immorality. You're sinning against God. You're sinning against yourself. You can also be sinning against another person as well. But the world is quickly at warp speed running toward sexual immorality with its arms wide open, ready to embrace it. We as Christians need to do the opposite. We need to be running in the opposite direction that the world is going right now. That's how we can be that light in the darkness, okay? Don't be afraid to stand up for God's boundaries when it comes to sexual activity, okay? His, his boundaries for marriage, all these things. Don't fear speaking God's truth about it. Keep your children from running along with the world because they are running to their destruction. We do not want to see that for those that we know and love. We don't want to see that for anybody, but especially for those we know and love. So be that light, okay? Be bold. Don't be afraid to, to speak out. And of course, do every, anything you can to avoid putting yourself in a situation where you are going to be tempted to commit an act of sexual immorality. All right, my friends, again, come back, join us next week to continue this conversation. Until next time, you take care and God bless.